Good morning. morning. It is good to be here. Christy and I were just talking about how much we look forward to this every week and what a joy it is to be with all of you. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity uh, to preach and to teach Bible class. Uh, It is truly a joy. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, because we're going to be turning through them rapidly throughout uh, the sermon today, turn to the book of Acts and open it to chapter one, we are going to take a 20,000 foot view of the book of Acts. We're going to go through the entire book. Uh, that does not mean that, like Paul, I'll keep you here till midnight. It just means that we're going to uh, quickly go through and we're going to hit the high points of uh, all the chapters in the book of Acts. We're going to look at the main theme for each chapter. Sometimes Uh, There are chapters that have a lot going on, but in general, we're going to look at one theme. We're going to kind of make it rhyme in most cases, so that hopefully some of them will stick and be memorable. Uh, Acts chapter 5 is always my favorite because my dad came up with that one, uh, and it's very memorable. You'll see when we get to that one. But we're also going to look at the key verses from each chapter. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 1 here in just a moment, but just as a way of introduction, I want to look at the idea here. You have been through, if you read through the New Testament, you've been through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have read the gospel accounts uh, of Jesus, right? We've read about the life and ministry of Jesus. We've read about his death, burial, and resurrection. I think that the normal thing for a person to do would be what's next, right? How is the church established? What about more information about the ascension? And that's exactly what Luke does here. Matthew and Mark, that was all that they ever wrote, as far as we know, right? John is still going to write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation, uh, but he doesn't reveal a whole lot more about the early church. And it's Luke who is going to take that task on. He's going to write about the ascension, and then he's going to go into the history of the church, and it's the church of Christ. When we hear that even the half hasn't been told about Jesus, and there's so many more works that he did and taught, the same is true about the book of Acts, right? We get a real sense of the magnitude of the work that was before them here, of the twelve apostles, and then We get, of course, the works of Paul. Really, the book of Acts concentrates on two main characters, I'd say. It would be Peter and Paul. And there's, of course, others who who make uh, appearances. But there, there is much going on from the other apostles that we never hear anything about. But we've been given this so that we know about the early church. And we get... uh, that Luke wrote the book of Acts. This is part two, right? He wrote the the first book, Luke, the gospel account of Luke. He wrote to Theophilus. This is part two. Uh, This is also to Theophilus, so it's written to the same person. He doesn't identify himself as Luke, but we know that it's Luke because of the we passages. Those are listed uh, on the screen. When we say we passages, it means that when he's traveling with Paul, 
Sometimes he uses the pronoun we, so we went here, we went there. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he's not with Paul. We know from Paul's other writings who was with him in different places, and so we can eliminate everyone else and we can figure out that it's Luke. Uh, And that's how we know that Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He did so after he wrote Luke. He wrote Luke around 60 to 63 A.D., uh, but he wrote the book of Acts before the death of Paul and before Paul's uh, release from prison uh, in Rome. So that puts this book being written around 63 A.D. And if you mark in your Bibles, and I hope you do, I mark in mine all the time. Uh, that's why I was just talking to, to the sister back here about how I could never, even as my eyesight gets worse and I can't see the, the text as well in here, I can't give up this Bible because I've written all my notes in here, right? Uh, so it becomes difficult. But I encourage you to underline these key verses, maybe write some of the main points. And along the way, I'm going to give you the dates as we know them. Uh, and the date to start out the book of Acts, we're talking about 30 A.D. Uh, so this is 30 A.D. when the church is founded in Jerusalem. Uh, And we get up to the first chapter, and it's Jesus' mission is done. Acts chapter 1, Jesus' mission is done. See how I rhymed it? It's great, right? You can remember it that way. All right, Luke writes again to Theophilus to continue the story of what happened to Jesus at the ascension. Uh, He starts by telling us two really important facts, and that is in verse uh, 9. And 11, verse 9, we read, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And then verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner, and ye have seen him go into the heavens. So we learned two things. Jesus was taken up during the ascension, and that he's coming back. That's an important fact to know. We're looking for Jesus to come back, right? We get to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the church is brand new, right? This is the founding of the church. We get the first gospel sermon uh, taught by Peter and the apostles, but it's as recorded by Peter here. And everyone could hear them in their own language. The Holy Spirit comes on them looking like tongues of fire. So it was a visible thing that people could see. And at that point, they, everyone can hear them in their own language. And they teach the, teach the most important message that's ever been taught, right? Christ and Christ crucified and the resurrection. He's essentially telling them, do you know what you've done? Fifty days ago, this is the day of Pentecost, fifty days ago, you crucified the Messiah. You killed the one that we've been looking for. He came, and you killed him. Now, between the powerful proof taught from Scripture and the powerful example of Jesus who laid down his life and the miracle that's taking place at this time where everybody can hear them in their own language, this is a moving sermon, right? It is that this message rings true. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you had something really important to do in the morning? Maybe you had to preach, right? Like me, this morning. 
And so you set your alarm, you double check it, maybe you have to go to the doctor, whatever it is, and uh, you wake up in the next morning and uh, the sun's shining and the birds are singing and you feel good, right? And then you realize, wow, the sun's awfully bright, right? Maybe I missed my appointment. Maybe I'm running late. Maybe my alarm didn't go off. Uh, That's how these people felt only at a much greater level, right? They've been looking for the Messiah all this time, and they realize now that they have killed him, that they missed his coming. They didn't understand it. And now they have killed him. And their reaction is exactly what you would think their reaction would be. It's verse 37. Oh, no. You know, what are we going to do? Uh, and that's exactly what they say in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do now? We have betrayed God. And Peter answers in the key verse, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The church is brand new. This is the founding of the church. It's the very hub of the Bible. In fact, there's a couple of books out that talk about Acts chapter 2 being the hub, the center point on which all the rest of the Bible turns, because this was the plan. This was always the plan. God always had it in mind to found the church of Christ. And that's where he does it, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And we see that they continue, you get down to verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord, added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Unlike churches that you join, the Lord is adding you to the church as you're being saved. We get to Acts chapter 3. This one is Peter heals a man's knee. Uh, Hey, you got to be original if you're going to try to make everything rhyme. <clears throat> All right. We see in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, that God is using miracles to confirm the word. And it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give, I give to thee. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he does, right? Peter's able to do this miracle because of the power of God. In Jesus' name. Well, the Jews didn't appreciate that very much. Since the Jewish leadership had indeed been factored into killing Jesus and plotting against him, they didn't like that this didn't do away with the teaching on Jesus. It was just a few days ago that we were able to rid ourselves of Jesus, and now they're preaching Jesus and they're still able to do miracles in his name. And so we see that they do not have the same reaction uh, that we would like them to have that they had in Acts chapter 2. And we get that in Acts chapter 4 as they are arrested. Uh, We get that in verses 1 and 2. And they are taken before Caiaphas. Uh, This, of course, Jesus also appeared before Caiaphas. And we are, in fact, in the same location, the same place that Jesus was kept at the night before his, during his trials, uh, was in the dungeon or the basement of Caiaphas' house. This is a, a real place that you can go and visit even today. It is not a pleasant place. You should think of it as a dungeon. Uh, that's basically what it was. It was a, a dungeon, a place, a holding cell underneath Caiaphas' house that they kept prisoners. And they kept, keep them here 
for teaching about Jesus. They bring them out. Uh, they try them. And they, they decide that they're not going to uh, kill them. But they tell them in verse 18 to teach Jesus no more. Acts chapter 4, teach Jesus no more. It says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And I love the reaction here, right? This is the same person, Peter, who denied Christ in almost the same location because he was afraid. And that was just at the, the servant girl accusing him of being one of Jesus' followers, and he denied Christ. Now, he's before the high priest and the council, and they're telling him, we command you not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. And what does he say? He says... Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. But verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We're not going to stop. I mean, that's remarkable, right? These are men who could get them killed. They kill Stephen in just a a couple of chapters. And he's standing up to them and defying them and telling them, we're going to preach Jesus. We don't care what you say. We have to obey God. Towards the end of chapter 4, you learn about Barnabas, and he's, he's a very giving person. And then we get to chapter 5. This is my favorite. It's Acts chapter 5. Two liars die. And I love that one. I remember it from my youth when my dad taught Acts, and that was his, his favorite. Uh, and he drilled that into me, and so I will never forget that as long as I live. Acts chapter 5, two liars die. We find that they wanted to be like Barnabas. They wanted to give, but they didn't want to give everything, uh, which that was okay. But they lied. They lied and said this is everything because they wanted the, the honor and praise of people. In verse 9, then Peter said unto her, How is it you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And you get down to verse 11, it says, Great fear came upon all those in the church and upon as many as heard these things. This is the greatest invitation ever given right here. These two people go forward and they lie and both of them are struck dead. And what is the reaction of the church? Great fear, right? Because all of us have sinned. All of us have things that we need to fix in our life. And I think that's exactly what would happen today. You think anybody else came forward at this point and wanted to repent and confess and move forward with God? Uh, This definitely uh, struck them, right? Struck the church. Uh, And uh, there's no angel saying, fear not. No, you need to fear. We need to not lie to God, right? And so uh, we get to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, 7 are picked. This is where they are having a problem Uh, They're not taking care of some of the Grecian Jew widows who have converted to Christianity. And so they pick seven men to be deacons. Stephen is among them. We get that in verse 5. And then in verse 8, we learn that Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen is a great man. He's been selected as one of the first deacons ever selected. And he's able, he has the spirit on him. The apostles have laid hands on him, and he's able to perform miracles in the name of Jesus. He was a good and righteous man. I love Stephen, and I love talking about Stephen. I love thinking about Stephen. And in chapter 7, 
we're going to get this great sermon from Stephen, but Stephen is also going to be stoned and killed. We're going to be introduced to Paul. So Acts chapter 7, Stephen sees Jesus standing in heaven. Stephen gives this great sermon. Uh, he's, he's taken and arrested, and he's going to defend the faith. And he goes back over all of Jewish history, and he tells them, look, you have, you have messed this up, right? You have missed the Messiah, and you have persecuted, you persecuted the prophets, and now you're persecuting me, and you have hard hearts, and you're not listening, right? And in verse 54 of Acts chapter 7, what do we read? There's a reaction. It's a similar reaction to Acts chapter 2, right? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were pricked in their heart. In Acts chapter 2, they were cut to the heart here. But a very different reaction. Instead of repenting and wondering what they should do to be made right with God, they instead say, gnash on their teeth. And they gnashed on him with their teeth, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice in verse 57, stopped their ears, ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes, their coats, at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That's our introduction to Saul, to Paul, right? I have a a 1611 page of uh, King James. My mom and dad bought it. Uh, a long, long time ago, and it is of Acts chapter 7. It is the martyrdom of Stephen and the introduction of Paul, and it ends on the verse where it says, and Paul made havoc of the... The next page says church. That's what he did. So that's our introduction to Paul, is that he is going around causing all sorts of trouble for the church. We get to Acts chapter 8. Eunuch thinks Jesus is great. There we go. You can remember that one. Uh, Verses 30 through 31. Philip ran to him, heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I except someone should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. What did he teach him? Well, he must have taught him about Jesus. And he must have taught him about baptism. Because you get down to verse 36. That's the key. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized, right? And he says, if you believe, you can. And he does. So that we know what the contents of Philip's sermon here to the eunuch was. He taught him about Jesus, and he taught him what he needed to do to be saved. We get to Acts chapter 9. And we have one of the great conversion stories of all time. Acts chapter 9, Saul or Paul is struck blind. And in verse 3 through 7, we read about what happens to him there. Paul has an enlightening experience, doesn't he? Uh, He finds out that everything that he's been doing, which he thought he was serving the Lord, everything he's done is wrong. He's been torturing, imprisoning, even killing Christians. And he confronts Jesus and he asks him, who are you, Lord? He knows who it is. He's the one he's been persecuting. You know, I believe that Saul, that Paul was sincere 
but he was sincerely wrong. And there are people in the religious world who are fake, who are doing these things for whatever, money or prestige or power. But there are also those in the denominational world who are very sincere. They believe that they're serving the Lord, just as Saul did. But they are sincerely wrong. They need to be taught. And just like Philip teaching the eunuch, it's our job, it's our duty to go out there and teach others what they need to do to be saved. Paul goes into the city and he fasts for three days. He's blind. Ananias comes to him. uh, And before he even eats, in verse 18, he is baptized. We are up to A.D. 36 now. If you're making notes in your Bible, that's the time period that's taken place. We're six years removed from the founding of the church. And we are now in A.D. 36. Paul is converted. He was in Damascus for a while, A.D. 37 through 39, and then immediately starts to preach Jesus. And by verse 23, we are up to A.D. 39. So time is moving very quickly through this chapter. The Jews are conspiring to kill him. Verse 29, we are up to the years A.D. 39 through 43, because he continues to preach. Uh, The Grecian Jews conspire to kill him. They smuggle him out. The church smuggles him to Caesarea, and then from there he goes back home to Tarsus, where he spends some time. That's verses 39 through 43, and we are up to the years 39 through 43 in the first century. Then, in verse 32, we flash back to Peter, and he raises Tabitha. Then we get on to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 doesn't rhyme exactly kind of a half rhyme. Acts chapter 10, all things are made clean. We're reading about Cornelius here. Peter has this dream. Three times God has to show him that the laws of the Old Testament, they no longer apply. We we no longer follow those uh, rules for how we're going to eat clean and unclean. It's no longer going to follow the rules. You can't go into a Gentile's house or you're unclean. We're no longer going to only take the gospel to Jews and proselytes, like the the eunuch was a proselyte. He was not a Jewish person uh, by blood, but he had converted to Judaism. Now we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, And that's exactly what Peter does. He goes from Joppa in the south up to Caesarea, and he teaches Cornelius. That's verse 47. And we see what kind of baptism that is. Chapter 10, verse 47. Can any man forbid, what's the word? Water, right? That these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. That was a sign to show them that it's okay for the Gentiles to receive baptism, for the Gentiles to receive the gospel. And now that message is going to be out. Uh, and of course, Paul is going to follow up that. He's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's Acts chapter 11. Gentiles have access to heaven. Peter comes back from this experience and he tells them, he tells the other Jews what has happened, the vision, the conversion of Cornelius. Uh, We are now in A.D. 44, uh, and we see that Barnabas is in Antioch, and he has established a congregation of the Lord's church there. In verse 25 of Acts chapter 11, He sends for Paul, and he goes to Tarsus to find him and bring him to assist with the work. That's A.D. 
44. They decide they are going to go on a missionary journey, and they do. We get to Acts chapter 13, Antioch's men are mean. Now this is a different Antioch, not the Antioch that they are sent from, but Antioch uh, where they have gone up, up north across the Mediterranean, and they do not receive the message as well there. Uh, we are in uh, verse 45 of Acts chapter 13. This is the first missionary journey, A.D. 45 through 47. Uh, and Paul and Barnabas take John Mark as their helper. They're sent on this first missionary journey. They run into some difficulty, and Paul stri- uh, strikes a false prophet blind. John Mark says, I've had enough. I'm going back home. We don't know exactly why he left, but we know Paul doesn't want to take him later on a second missionary journey. Uh, they get to Antioch, and they are not treated well. And in verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spoke against these things, which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So Antioch's men are mean, and they stir up the people to take bad action Against them. In fact, they're going to follow them around and try to stir up people everywhere that they go. But in Acts chapter 14, Paul's message is seen. They, they have success in setting up some congregations and appointing elders in verse 23. In verse 27, they make a report, and it's clear that Paul's message to the Gentiles has been seen. And we get down to uh, verse uh, 20, let's see, Acts chapter 14, verse 28. Uh, And there they abode a long time with the disciples. So we're at A.D. 48 to 49 now, right here, at the beginning of Acts chapter 15. Yeah, all right, there's 14. Paul's message is seen. I've got to keep up with the slides. Paul, Acts 15, Jerusalem conference convenes. So there's going to be this argument about whether or not they're supposed to be circumcised, for the Gentiles to be able to receive the gospel. Paul and Barnabas say no. These others from Jerusalem say yes. They go to Jerusalem to have this conference and meet and and point out that that is not necessary, and in fact that is what they do. Now we are at A.D. 50. This is the Jerusalem conference, and we get get more information about that in Galatians 2 and verse 1 if you want to write that as a side passage. Um, And at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas decide they want to go on a second missionary journey uh, and this is where they have the split. Barnabas goes on and he goes to Cyprus. He takes uh, John. Paul is going to take Silas and he's going to go on a second missionary journey. That's the end of chapter 15. The second missionary journey is going to be done between AD 51 and 54. So you can write that at the end uh, of that chapter. We get to chapter 16. Lydia is gleaned. Paul gets to gets the Macedonian call. The, the Spirit doesn't want him to go to uh, Asia, and instead they go over uh, to Macedonia. They convert Lydia in verse 14 and 15. She's taught and baptized along with her household. Paul and Silas are then persecuted and put in jail. They convert the jailer, right? And then they're released because they're Roman citizens and they've abused them. They've violated their rights. Uh, and so they, they want them to leave, but they don't leave right away. They have a church service there at the end. And what a church that must have been. These new Christians, Lydia, the jailer, Paul and Silas. I mean, it's just really uh, neat to think about the, the makeup of that small congregation that just got founded 
in Acts chapter 16. We get to Acts chapter 17. Paul proclaims the God unseen. They're going to get Paul away to uh, Athens. This was a center for pagan worship, right? There's all these temples. Even today, there's these temples uh, that are from archaeology that they've restored. Uh, And there's all these gods and goddesses. There's actually more gods and goddesses and statues uh, than there are people in Athens. And and some of the ancient historians make fun of that. They say it's easier to find a god in Athens than it is to find a person. Uh, That's how many gods and goddesses. So he sees that. Paul sees uh, this, and um, he talks to them about that. He sees a city given to idolatry. In verse 16, he teaches about the God unseen. In verse 23, this, I see you have a pedestal to an unknown God. I'm going to tell you about that God. That's the God that actually created all of this. Uh, and he does that. Then in verse 18, he's alone when he's in Athens, but when he gets to Corinth, he is reunited with his team. So Paul is going to work with his team. He goes to Corinth. Corinth in verse 1, where he meets Priscilla and Aquila. He's going to have in verse 2, uh, he's going to have Silas and Timothy show up in verse 5. Paul converts the head of the synagogue there in verse 8, and he stays working there for 18 months. That's verse 11. During this time, Paul is going to write First and Second Thessalonians. And Paul returns and then goes on his third missionary journey. That's A.D. 54 through 58. And during that time, he writes First and Second Corinthians. So you can write all of that in. We get to Acts chapter 19, right? Demons acting obscene. I like this one because it's just interesting to me in verse 15 and 16. uh, There's these men that are going to try to cast out these demons, right? And they say, we know who Jesus is and we know who Paul is, but who are you, right? The demons don't have any respect for these people. But for Jesus, of course, the Son of God, they do. And for Paul, who's out there working in the kingdom, they know who Paul is. They don't know who these guys are who are trying to establish a name for themselves and casting out demons. And so I find that to be interesting. We get to Acts chapter 20. Eutychus falls out of a window. Now you say that one doesn't rhyme at all. You messed up here. It's hard to find something that rhymes with 20. I mean, it's kind of like orange, right? Nothing rhymes really great with 20. So uh, I had a class one time where I was teaching this, and one of the students came up with Eutychus falls out of a windy. Windy kind of rhymes with 20, so you can... You can think of it that way. But Paul uh, heals him, of course. He's preaching too long. The guy falls asleep. Uh, And we are now uh, in, let's see, A.D. 57 and 58. He's going to write, while he's in Corinth, he's going to write Galatians and Romans. And uh, he's going to continue on into chapter 21, where Paul hears that Jews will cause harm. Verse 4 and 11, there are these prophecies given to him that he's, if he goes to Jerusalem, it's, it's going, he's going to be arrested. He's going to, it's going to go bad for him. Uh, he goes, of course, uh, to Jerusalem anyway. We are now up to A.D. 58. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is protected from the Jews. It's exactly what happens. It's what was prophesied. He is arrested. Uh, there's a riot. There's false accusations made against Paul. Uh, and... He's going to have to have the Gentile authorities step in and, uh, and save him. So Paul is protected from the Jews in Acts chapter 22. Uh, and the key verse there is verse 24. We get to Acts chapter 23. Paul with Romans must flee. There's a plot to kill Paul even while he's in protection. They're going to get him to be moved and they're going to ambush him and kill him. 
His nephew alerts the authorities, so Paul is saved by the Romans. That's verse 31, who eventually take him on to Caesarea Maritima, which is verse 33. Uh, he is kept there for two years in prison. That's A.D. 58 to A.D. 60. In verse 24, or chapter 24, verse uh, 24, he is going to have this opportunity to uh, tell Felix and Drusilla about his conversion and try to convince them to become uh, Christians. In chapter 25, he's going to have to appeal to Caesar. That They're trying to play politics here. They're going to send Paul back to Jerusalem. And he says, no, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to go before Caesar. Uh, that was his right as a Roman citizen. And so he appeals to Caesar in verse 11 of chapter 25 in order to stay Alive, Because if he goes back to Jerusalem, they will certainly kill him. Uh, verse 26, Paul with kings, Paul will mix. And that's verse 27 and 28. King Agrippa, the, king, the current king, Herod Agrippa II, uh, he uh, is going to come with his wife, and they're going to uh, listen to Paul. And verse 27 and 28, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And then Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, right? I'm going to send for you at a more convenient time, right? They don't, uh, they don't get converted, but they think Paul's mad. He says, I'm not mad, right? I'm not crazy. Uh, I know you believe the prophets. And so I think it scares him a little bit here. Uh, in chapter 26. In Acts chapter 27, they're going to send him to Rome to appeal to Caesar. And the Caesar we're talking about is Nero. That is who he is going to go before, as is his right. Acts chapter 27, there's a shipwreck digression. And we are in A.D. 61 at this point. Uh, And they're going to get in a shipwreck. Uh, The the way the men that are overseeing all this are, uh, they make a bad decision. Uh, and in verse 41, uh, they're all going to be saved. And they fall into a place of two seas meet. They ran the ship aground, and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And they're all going to be saved. Uh, and then they're going to continue on to Rome. Uh, and in Acts chapter 28, at the end of Acts, we find Paul awaiting trial. So he is there, and in verse 30 and 31, it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching all those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So he's staying there for two years. Now, what happens after this? Well, we don't know what all happens, but there's some things that we can uh, figure out. Um, one is that Paul was eventually released from prison. Uh, and he goes on to continue teaching and preaching. That's AD you know, 61 through 63. He's, during this time, he's writing the prison epistles while he's in Rome. He writes Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. Uh, and that's where Luke leaves Paul. He says he's here for two years. And we assume that the reason he left him is because that's when he was writing this history. And there is no more history. You know, he's reached the end. So we're in 63 A.D. Uh, We know Paul was released. We can pick that up in 1 Timothy, 
which he writes in about A.D. 67. He also writes Titus about that time, so he's not in prison during that time. But sometime later, he is arrested again, and he's brought to Rome again. We get that from 2 Timothy 4, 9, and 21. And I want to close out today. You know, I know that was a quick, going quick through the book of Acts, but I think it's valuable to do that because, well, for a number of reasons. One, it's good to see what all the church had to endure, right? It's good to see how hard they had to push to get the message out. We have it a lot easier in, in many ways. Uh, we face the same kinds of things that they face, the same kinds of resistance to it. Uh, but we look at Second Timothy 4. This is right at the end of Paul's life, and he knows the end is coming. These are some of the last words that Paul ever writes. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, uh, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also that love his appearing. He was looking forward to the Lord's appearing. And even if he had to die, which he did before Jesus came back, he knew that he had the victory because he had run the good race. He's encouraging us. And really, that's what we should get out of the book of Acts. It's always a good exercise. Some of the best advice I've ever received was you should sit down one afternoon and just read the entire book of Acts in one sitting. And you'll be so impressed with how hard these men worked and women and pushed forward the gospel of Christ. And that's what we need to do today. So this isn't a lesson that's maybe made you look at yourself uh, in terms of sin, but it should make you think about all the conversion stories in the book of Acts, right? All those that were converted in Acts chapter 2, all those that were converted throughout. We've got Cornelius, Lydia, and all of those who were baptized for the remission of their sins, who came in contact with the blood of Christ. And if you are someone who has never put on Christ in baptism, that's what we see in all of these conversion stories. And we'd be happy to study with you and talk to you about that. If you're someone who has done that, but you have fallen away, you have let sin come into your life, uh, we would encourage you this morning to not leave here lost. Don't go away in that state. Go away in a saved state of grace. Come and repent, confess that sin, and we will pray with you and for you. If either one of those is the case for you this morning, please come and make it known as we stand and sing.